Welcome to Family Business Today, where we feature prominent local and national family business owners. We also talk to top family business experts to discuss relevant topics, including communications, business culture, family relationships, succession and estate planning, values, as well as conflict resolution. Brought to you by the Tennessee Center for Family Business, I'm your host, Greg Lewis. Our guest today is Anavia McLean. Anavia is an award-winning entrepreneur, speaker, and sought-after expert on topics related to small business growth and professional development. Her company, Piccolo Marketing, helps small business owners achieve unprecedented growth through the development of marketing strategies, business development campaigns, and implementation of processes and systems that maximize efficiency. On today's podcast, we will be talking about how business owners can benefit from marketing their business as a family business. Well, good morning, Anavia. I am so glad that you could join me this morning for this edition of Family Business Today. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's so great to be here. I'm really excited about this topic uh, because especially today with all that's yeah. going on with the pandemic, marketing is so important to just keep keep doing it and doing it in a very special way. So let's get started. Every day, the business universe is really cluttered with messaging ideas and repurposed content coming from marketers and thought leaders everywhere. As a family business owner, we know that you need your messages to stand out from all that chatter. And you also understand that the best way to do that is to create a unique message that stands out. What are some best practices that family business owners should consider? It's a great question. The the hard thing to explain to business owners, not just family business owners, but business owners in general, is that people are not necessarily immediately interested in every single possible thing that you could do for them or sell to them. So usually when we start working with businesses, you know, we bring in our clients, we have our launch meetings so that we can create a strategy for them and a a message plan. And initially they're very amped up to tell us everything they do. So I'll give you an example with my company. You know, if I come in and I say I'm a marketing company and I do social media and website development and email marketing <laughs> and, you know, SEO and and it's somewhere very early on, the 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 audience loses interest because what they want to know is, you know, how I'm different. They can you can go on Google and type in social media agency and have, you know, a million choices. People don't want you to list out all the things that you could do for them or sell for them. What they want to know is how you're different and how you will help them uniquely solve their problem. And so if you're a family business, you know, you really can rely on that, the customer service, the values that you're bringing to the table, you know, how your your team is a little bit closer knit than maybe a larger company that doesn't have uh, that, that family background. And so being able to identify with your family, these are the ways that we are unique in our business and how we stand out and not just because we can do 15 different things. You know, this is, this is the value that we're bringing as a family owned business. And a lot of times that's based on, uh, I'll say like tenure in the marketplace. We had a client that when they first hired us on, it was to help them rebrand the company for their 150th anniversary. 
which is crazy. <laughs> like 150 years is crazy. So, you know, we really called on the history as a fourth generation owned uh, uh, company. And so what we did is we really called on that that history in the marketplace and change them from being sort of this commodity in their their industry to being, you know, this longtime community oriented family owned business. Mm, great, great point. Yes, I um <laughs> I, I know in our work as uh, mentors at the National Entrepreneur Center, we mm-hmm. we often we often have that first meeting with a, a, a young entrepreneur, and they start telling what they um, uh, what they say they they do is, and so it sort of sounds like this bucket list, and uh, yeah. So I sort of <laughs> use the phrase, so that you're telling me you'll do most anything for a buck, <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> and, and so really refine what is you do that makes you unique in the marketplace. So uh, I might ask our, our listeners, what does IKEA, Ford Motor Company, Walmart, Estee Lauder, <laughs> even Tootsie Roll and Harley Davidson have in common? Well, the answer is they're all family businesses. So Anavia, what's in a name, specifically a family business name as a brand? Yeah, so I think, you know, every family business, the ones you just named off, some of them have the name in it, the family's last name or surname in it. Some of them don't, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of them have selected not to, you know, to do that and to come up with another, you know, Tootsie Roll, for example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that would be really funny as a last name. But uh, um, <laughs> I think that the, the important part here is that when you're talking about marketing, and I'm going to say this strictly from a marketing perspective, sure. you know, mm-hmm. Ford Motor Company, they put their last name on the product. And I think that there's something to be said about the the responsibility or the accountability of having your name on a product or a service. And I don't want to discount that. But I also think that if you are choosing to use your last name, uh, but you're not evaluating your audience and how they might be receiving the name of your business or, you know, understanding the name of your business. Uh, I'll use just a generic example, you know, so if your dad's name is Sully and his business name is Sully's with an, you know, an apostrophe S that leaves a lot to the imagination, right? Like, well, what is that business? Is it a lawn care company? Is it a restaurant? Is it a, Mm -hmm. you know, motor company? Like, you have to be specific enough uh, with the way that you're naming your company that you're not only bringing in, again, what we talked about, sort of the the longevity of your family reputation in the community, but also being specific about what you are to your client. Uh, And we've seen a lot of that uh, when we're helping people sort of refresh their branding. It doesn't mean that you need to take your family surname out. It just means means that you need to be focused that your overall brand is very clear about what you do and that it's attractive to your particular audience. Just because you and your family like the color green, you know, doesn't mean that it's the best color or the best, you know, like you need to make sure that you're evaluating what your audience will respond to, not necessarily just what you want to name or design your company to be. Right, right. So uh, Estee Lauder's certainly uh, for us, we know, is a cosmetic line, but mm-hmm. they've, they've spent years and years and years uh, developing that, that they no longer have to say that they are a, um, a perfume or cologne or cosmetic company. So that's very, very good. Right. And even then, when you think about their branding, right, they've got Mm -hmm. the gold. It's a very clean, like cleanly written logo. Everything about their brand screams luxury. 
Right. Right. And so like they know that their products are more expensive. They understand they're, you know, primarily centric or female centric audience. Mm -hmm. And that's how they've designed the brand. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, even though and and again, I'm not um, not familiar with the full history of Estee Lauder, you know, but I'm assuming that there's, you know, uh, (laughs) at least one man in that family, (laughs) you know, they they decided and and have built that brand to that level based off understanding their clientele and then designing around them. Okay, very good. So uh, what's in a name? It's really more than just the brand. It's in the design and everything else. Well, yeah. Well, well let's 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 go a little a little bit deeper on what's in a family business name. So, I think we can all agree that branding for any business is more than a snappy logo uh, that we talked about, a marketing budget, excellent product, or really a great customer service. But but what about the backstory? Especially if, let's say, you're you're not the founder of the company or the first generation, but you're the second, third, fourth, maybe fifth generation, sort of like a Ford Motor Company is. What's the importance of the backstory? Yeah, well, first of all, I think that uh, what we were talking about a moment ago about you know setting yourself apart from your competition and being unique, I think the backstory is a huge part of that. People are are story driven. Um, there's this this new concept of um, story branding. Have you heard of this? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I guess it's not new, <laughs> right. um, you know, but it is the concept of story branding. Uh, and this is, you know, Donald Miller uh, building a story brand, and that's you know a book you can go read about mm-hmm. it. You can also go to to his website. But uh, the principle is is that you know we as human beings process information best through stories. So, you know, when you think about television or movies or, you know, you're binging, you're, everybody's binge watching Netflix right now um, as we're all inside, you know, it's stories. It's the adult version of mommy, tell me a story. Uh, you know, for, for our very youngest age, you know, we're reading books and we're, you know, watching, we want to be told stories. And so being able to capture your family's story and really the heart behind why you're doing what you're doing is one of those unique value propositions that does set you apart from your competition. Mm-hmm. Very good. So story branding is is important to, to tell that story and let people understand what that backstory is. So going a little bit further with that, while many of these truly successful family-owned businesses consider family branding extremely important, like let's say Ford Motor Company or Walmart or or even local companies like the Ingram Group or uh, Beeman Bottling or Beeman Groups, um, not all uh, family-owned businesses are using this really potential, potent marketing tool. One analysis even shows that only one-third of the top 100 family businesses in the world actively highlight their brands as family-owned. What are some of your thoughts on why using the family name in branding is really important to marketing a family business? And you mentioned that earlier on, but let's go a little bit deeper with that. Yeah. So first of all, um, and I know that, you know, people listening to this podcast are family-owned businesses, which is great. From a marketing perspective, I think that you do need to evaluate your competition 
And you need to decide if marketing yourself as a family-owned business is beneficial. Um, and I will say that there are different ways to share that information. So, you know, putting that all over everything on, you know, on the internet or, you know, making it part of your, you know, your package uh, design and, and things like that, you know, family owned since 1982 or whatever it is. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. But again, I think that each, each company, each business needs to fully understand who their target audience is and then decide, on, on that information is being family owned going to give you a competitive edge. And if it is exactly how should you be marketing that? Right? So should it be your, your leading marketing message? Hey, we are family owned and that makes us better in this industry. Maybe it does. Like if you're using grandma's cookie recipe to, you know, to make mm -hmm. cookies, you know, being a family owned business where, you know, people see that grandma's been making cookies um, since before we were all born, you know, that's probably a, you know, a benefit. Um, you know, if you are a, um, and this, I'm just giving different examples, you know, if you're a store and you're maybe selling something that's more of a commodity that people could buy at, um, you know, Walmart and Amazon and, you know, things like that. Maybe you have a hardware store. Again, being a family owned business is a competitive edge because you're going to be attracting people that are looking for that interpersonal connection when they come in. They, you know, they want to talk to somebody. They want to ask questions about their project. They want to get recommendations on a tool. Amazon isn't going to do that for you. Right. So right. there are reasons mm -hmm. to choose to market yourself as a family owned business. Um, but there might also be reasons to be like, hey, you know, we want to look a little bit when I say, quote, bigger than we are. You know, maybe you position your branding to make yourself look a little bit bigger. And then when people uh, come and in, interact with your brand, like maybe when they get to your website and they go to the about page on your website, mm -hmm. maybe that's where you highlight the backstory of your family mm -hmm. and why you're different. So again, understanding how your audience is making buying decisions and what they might find valuable is important. Uh, because if you use family business as your main and only marketing message, you might be missing the boat on what people are looking for. Mm -hmm. Very good. Do you want to use it strategically? Yeah. Use it strategically. Doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be the first thing that you that a company comes out with, but it it might be important to include it as a part of your about your history of, mm -hmm. of who you are, where you come from. Right. So uh, it's really all about relationships when it comes to marketing, and it's and this relationship marketing sort of become the uh, common phrase catchphrase in the industry. Which, if you think about it, it's sort of funny. Uh, after all, building relationships in marketing and sales isn't really a new concept. So as a family business owner, what are some marketing ideas you would suggest building long-term relationships with their customers? So this isn't the most popular opinion, I think, but email marketing is something that still continues to prove to be a very effective form of marketing. And I'm sure that many people that are listening right now <laughs> went, no, I don't like it when I get emails. You know, I don't, I don't like those things. I get 300 emails a day. I don't want to, I don't want to get those. <laughs> and my next always, that's always the response I get. My next question to them is always, well, how many of them do you unsubscribe from? <laughs> right. Because if you're getting 300 a day, you probably are not unsubscribing from any of them. And that would put you in the majority, meaning most people don't actually unsubscribe from emails. What they do is they read the subject line, decide they, that they don't want or need that thing right now, and they hit the delete button. 
But what that does is it reminds that person, your customer, your audience, or you know, client, that you exist and that you have something to offer them and that you're continually, you know, following up with them. You know, big companies, you know, these big retail stores and restaurants and things like that, they don't have email lists by chance. They send you those emails over and over again because they work. So if larger companies are using this this methodology, why aren't smaller family-owned businesses using it? And I think, you know, the number one objection that I hear to email marketing is, well, I don't want to bother anybody. I don't want to make them mad, you know, because I'm emailing them too much. And to that, I say, like, if you if you send somebody an email, let's say once a month and they get really mad at you for doing that, (laughs) they probably weren't your customer or client anyway. They probably were never going to buy anything from you anyway. So what's going to the worst that'll happen is they either hit the unsubscribe button, which is fine, it's painless, or they go, "Hey, please stop sending me emails." To which you can say, "Hey, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to bother you. We'd be happy to remove you. Have a great day." Right. Uh, again, relatively painless. So, painless. You know. Yeah, exactly. So when you're talking about long-term relationships, social media is great for top of mind awareness, but the algorithms change all the time. So the likelihood that your posts are going to be seen on a regular basis by everyone in your audience is fairly minimal unless you're actually spending money to boost those posts with ads, right? So you want to have social media as a baseline sort of foundational effort. But, you know, again, unless you have a lot of engagement or a product that people buy online and things like that, you know, most family-owned businesses are going to use use social media as just a, a top-of-mind awareness or a digital legitimacy tool. You know, someone looks you up and they see that you're on social media. Hmm. Um Having a website is the same thing. It's like having a digital storefront. Mm-hmm. You, you need to have one. Um, but again, people, you know, how many times do you go to a restaurant and every time you go, you go look up their website or you look it up two or three times? Like you don't go back to a website multiple times unless mm-hmm. you're looking for a specific piece of information. And what that leaves is that as you're developing these long-term relationships with your customers, you need to be collecting their email addresses at least And at best, you would be collecting their cell phone numbers as well because there are a lot of text message marketing services now. And text messages have the highest open and read rate of any direct messaging Hmm. from a marketing perspective. So again, people would opt into that. They would choose it, you know, but you want to make sure that you're, you're doing that direct communication to them through email, at least text message if you can. And don't be salesy about it. The goal is not to send them an email twice a week that says, this is 10% off. Now we have this sale. Buy our widget. It's amazing. It's 25% off. Use our coupon code. We do these 15 things. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like that's, that's what tires people out. If you're sending them value-added content, um, showing them who you are, you know, showing that, let, introduce them to your family. Introduce them to your dog. You know, let them see that you're human beings and that you're, you're bringing value back. And that's where people go right now, you know, right now in this pandemic, everybody's saying support local businesses, support small businesses, because like that's, those are the relationships that we have and and we want to support those in, in times of need. Hmm. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, let's, let's, Let's change horses just briefly here. Uh, you've sort of implied uh, the importance of, of training. Uh, one of the things I've found in working with family business owners, especially the founders of, of these businesses, 
that they think they are the only ones who understand their business. Maybe that's ego. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what, but it is prevalent out there. And not even the next generation do they have confidence that they can run their run the business as good as they can. What are your thoughts on the importance of training to grow your business and, and even eventually transition to the next generation? How long is this podcast again? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I will, uh, I'll give you the abbreviated version here. Sure. So, um, okay. So, uh, Greg, have you heard of the book, The E-Myth Revisited by, oh, yes. uh, Michael Gerber? Yeah, it's one of my, uh, uh, required reading for our members of our family nice. business mastermind groups. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is one of the things is that, you know, that book in and of itself, it was recommended to me by one of my business coaches early on when I started my, my company and I read it and it, it has it resonated so thoroughly with me. And I think what you're mentioning about, you know, every business owner thinks that their problems are unique to them. And every business owner thinks that they're the only ones who can fix them or, or, or do it the right way. Every business owner thinks that, you know, they should be able to do everything in their business on their own. Mm-hmm. And that book is a really great reminder. And it breaks down in a thorough explanation about why that is just not true. And so I, I, I volunteer with a score, uh, with the, the small business administration. And we, we volunteer as mentors to help small business owners and entrepreneurs. And it's a, it's a volunteer organization to just help coach them. And we got to the point where as a, a subject matter expert in marketing with that group, I realized I was having the same conversations over and over again. And it's not that I don't want to help people, but when you have the same you know, the same call, (laughs) you know, a dozen, two dozen times, it's the same 30 minute conversation over and over. What you realize is that there, there has to be ways, you know, for, for small business owners, family owned businesses to know that there are training opportunities available. And that while your problem in the moment, while you're standing there in it feels overwhelming and it feels like you're the only one who understands everything, if you continue to try to own and do everything on your own, you are choosing that loneliness. And sometimes it can be really lonely to own a business. You know, I've owned one for six years and I, uh, a few years ago started participating in a lot of different, like not support groups, but like entrepreneurial groups and Mm -hmm. forum groups and masterminds because it's lonely when you own a business. And one of the things that I learned is that the more that I told myself that I was the only one who could do it, you know, the, the more I stifled the growth of my business. And when I sat down and started telling people, hey, I'm going through this, I was shocked how many were like, oh, yeah, I've been through that, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have? Oh, yeah. Here are three things that I did that, like, solved it right away. Let's move on. Right. You're like, oh, crap. Like, let me get a pen. Like, <laughs> where, you yeah. know, and so I think that, you know, training is a huge part of our business. One of our core company values is we are a teaching company. And that applies to not just my team, meaning I teach my team, but that means that my team teaches each other. It is their responsibility to think, how is somebody else going to do this if I'm not here? And that's how we build our processes and systems and training programs. It applies to our clients. How are we teaching our clients to use our systems and understand our data and realize you know, that they can help with their own marketing efforts? So I think that the initial instinct for business owners, and like you said, especially family business owners, is to say, you know, I'm the only one who. 
<laughs> and they have to have a moment where they go, you know what, right now, I'm the only one who can fill in the blank right now or yet. I'm the only one who can do this yet. But if I took an extra 20 minutes, if I took an extra hour or two hours or whatever it is, maybe it's three weeks. Maybe it's going to take you three weeks to train a couple of people to help you do something the way you need it to be done. But the growth potential is just exponential. Oh, very good. Very good point. And of something uh, I think so important to family business owners. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why uh, only about 30% of uh, family-owned businesses successfully transition to the sex, second generation is yeah. a lack of lack of planning. I, 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 in the speeches that I make often, I said, there's only one thing that I can guarantee you is that 100% of you will transition whether you want to or not. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's where life is. Life is. Sure. Well, well, you mentioned you just mentioned about about values. According to a 2019 edition of PricewaterhouseCoopers U.S. Family Business Survey, the number one area for family businesses to consider in order to build a lasting and profitable legacy is to compile and list their values. What, yeah. what are some more of your thoughts on how values are important to marketing a family business? <laughs> um. Not just family business, but especially family businesses, because we've talked about already how important it is to set yourself apart mm -hmm. from other businesses. And, you know, having family values is important. Having business values is equally important, um, especially if the family owns the business. Um, I would say that, you know, defining your values is something that most companies, in my experience, as we're working with clients and, and colleagues and peers, most people jump over that part they sort of assume that everybody's in it for the same reasons. And I don't know if it's just that it might feel uncomfortable to talk about because it's a really meaningful conversation. And a lot of times people aren't comfortable, you know, having heavy, meaningful conversations. But defining the values is a really important way to make sure that everybody in your family-owned business is in it for the same reason mm -hmm. and that you're working towards the same goal. And that the way that you're going to, the ways that you're going to reach those goals are, or, you know, singular goal are, are the same, that you guys are all going to have the same mindset as you're approaching it. And you're just using your, your individual perspectives to grow the business together. And so, you know, when we are sitting again, when we're sitting down having a launch meeting with a client, one of the first things we ask is what are your goals? What are your values? What do you, why do you have this business to begin with? Because if the reason is, well, we're just trying to make money and pay bills, you're, you're right, right? Like you're probably not going to transition that to a second generation or a third or a fourth, you know, like, cause if, if that's the, the reason, you know, they're probably going to go find, there are a million different ways to make money. So why would they pick the one that you're handing them? Mm. So defining values and saying, this is why we do this is a very important introductory conversation um, and being able to exemplify that in the way that you lead the business. So it's not just the family that owns the business. It's everybody that works for you. It's the community that you're engaging with. You know, it's your strategic partners and your customers or clients and, you know, the nonprofits or the volunteer work that you do and all of those things need to be impacted by how you defined your values. Oh, uh, 
Yeah, I was just thinking about as we were talking, uh, as we're recording this, we're in the middle of the uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. Yeah. And research has shown that family businesses are really more resilient than non-family firms and often weather economic turmoil better than their counterparts. An off-sided reason for this phenomenon is that family businesses are better able to take a long-term perspective, focusing on the benefits and this legacy for the next generation. And uh, it's really about having strong family business values. Anything else you'd like to say about that? Yeah, I think that um, when you're defining values, I want to be clear about the difference between values and a mission statement. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people that we work with that either come to work for me as employees uh, or our clients or customers they have what I call corporate PTSD, <laughs> which is sort of, you know, they've worked in these big corporations or, or you know, just other companies where everything is just sort of, um, you know, it's just, it has that corporate feel to it. And there isn't a lot of heart and there isn't a lot of empathy and there isn't a lot of, you know, just love or, or care. And so when they come into an organization that that does those things, that, that prioritizes those things, it can feel uncomfortable in the beginning. Um, I've actually had people that literally cannot act and are you know they go back to sort of some of those those bad habits and so mission statements to me are one of those things that personally I, I just speak for myself I don't care for mission statements because I think in general they remind me of sort of you know long-winded super long complex multi-part sentences that have as many buzzwords as we can shove into them that don't really resonate with anyone you know, and people can't recite them. They don't really know them. It's like, you know, we sat down and we did our mission statement exercise and we wrote down two very long sentences and then we never looked at it again. Or we put it at the, you know, the top of the about page on our website and we never looked at it again. And if that's what you have right now, you're you're missing out on the opportunity to really define values. And I think values are different than your mission statement in that values are something that should come from your gut. It should be something that everything that you do is sort of subconsciously driven by these things. And to that end, you shouldn't have 20 of them. Mm -hmm. You should have like less than five. It should be very clear and very, when I say all encompassing, it should be, you know, principles or values that really can apply to a lot of different situations that are guiding you towards those goals and uniting everybody together. So to give you an example, we have three core company values at, at Piccolo Marketing. The first one is just the word happiness. And we thought about, you know, how could we expand upon that and how can we, and it, you know, we, for, for an hour, we debated this back and forth, you know, what kind of happiness and who is the happiness for and all that. And at the end we said, you know what, it's just happiness. It's making decisions that protect the happiness of our team and our clients and our strategic partners, because choosing something just to get money that's going to make everybody unhappy, like taking on a client that we know is not going to be a good client that's not worth it for us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the happiness thing is always in my head. Will this make us happy first? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, then we can consider other things. Our second core value is what I mentioned before. We are a teaching company. So everybody is teaching each other all the time. And this is so ingrained in the values of our company. I don't even need to dictate this anymore. Six years, really last year, five years into my business, you know, all of my, my leadership team and everybody, my interns, everybody just started making training videos for one another. 
And it was like, oh, do you guys need me for anything? And they're like, no, we're good. (laughs) Okay, well, great. So, you know, that that provides that longevity um, and that that legacy that you've been talking about, being able to hand it off to other people. Our third value is don't get offended, get better. And this is something that I had, I, I don't know where the terminology was sort of popped into my head, but we were talking about how do we encourage everyone in our company at all levels to share openly and honestly without fear of being judged or being, you know, hated or being punished and, you know, or being, being embarrassed and to just say, look, you know, everybody in the company from myself as the owner and CEO all the way down to the interns, I want everybody's opinion. And that means that no one can be offended. That means that we all have to be committed to getting better and knowing that, you know, even if somebody speaks their truth or speaks their idea and it's not worded exactly the right way or they stumble through it or it maybe comes off a little wrong, we need to trust that everybody on our team is giving that feedback with the intention of us getting better. And so those are our three values. And I think, you know, when we're talking about values and you said, how do you want to go a little deeper? That that really is always my thought. Make sure that your values are providing clarity for your direction rather than just sort of, a, you know, a gigantic, uh, uh, you know, paragraph of buzzwords that nobody's going to really remember. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing sharing that. And, and as someone who's known you for about five years, yeah. uh, certainly... Uh, happiness. You're always happy uh, when we're together. <laughs> uh, you're always teaching uh, and uh, being encouraging uh, to others. And uh, uh, you've never never offended me. So, <laughs> but you've always, you've always encouraged me to get better. So, so thank you for practicing the values that your company um, uh, expresses and help helping us out. Absolutely. Well, we're sort of coming to the end of our time together, but I, I do want to give you just a little bit of time. I certainly know that a lot of the things that you have uh, suggestions are, are part of what you do at Piccolo Marketing, but, but take a few minutes to just tell us a little bit of, more about your company, Piccolo Marketing. Yeah. So I started Piccolo Marketing six years ago um, and my background's in hospitality. It's in private club management. And what I realized is that to the, you know, the point of my values, I wasn't really being true to myself. And when you're, when your purpose isn't aligned with your job, you know, it causes a lot of, a lot of challenges, a lot of mental health challenges and physical challenges. And I needed to get out of that. So I started Piccolo Marketing kind of on a, on a whim and as a fluke. I just realized that there were small business owners in my network, a lot of the groups I was going to that needed help with marketing, but not so much that they would hire a full-time marketing director or, you know, in-house person or, you know, they'd go hire one of the bigger agencies to do something for them. Um, because they, they couldn't quite afford it. And the help that they needed was more foundational. It was more, you know, either we have somebody here or myself, I'm already doing marketing, but I need to know how to do it better. So we don't have a huge budget, but I'd like to have somebody coach or mentor me. I'd like to have somebody teach us how to do this. And or, you know, there are a few things that we'd like to take off of our plate. We'd like to have to stop posting every day on Twitter. <laughs> uh, you know, now it's Instagram. Instagram's more popular now. But, um, you know, what Piccolo Marketing does is we we serve that need. So we have a team of experts and each of them sort of is, when I say they're on a, a like a cost share program, essentially whatever your company needs is how 
how we customize a package of services so that you get the right experts and the right strategy at the price point that you need it for. And so that goes all the way from our Piccolo University, which is an online course. We take all of the training we've created for our team and we put that up um, for access to our customers and, and clients so that they can use those resources to teach themselves how to market. Uh, we have coaching programs through our marketing mentor program where we get on the phone with you and talk through some of those unique problems. So sometimes people really do have unique problems, right? And they need to have, you know, somebody uh, walk through it with them. And there's, so there's a nice sort of mentorship there. And then we also do marketing for our clients and we create custom packages around digital marketing services to help them uh, gain back time, make more money and uh, be able to focus on the things that they're really good at. So, you know, it allows them to take off one of the, you know, the 17 hats that they're currently wearing and uh and trust that to an, an expert team oh wow that's awesome that's awesome well as usual you're always uh, out there uh serving others in the marketplace and just want to wish you the very very best in thank all that you, you. Do. so any closing thoughts for our listeners before we uh, finish up our time today yeah, I think the, the the last closing thought I'll have, and I think or, or that I'll share, and I think I've I've sort of hinted at it a couple of times, is, you know, the 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 work, the hard work of marketing is the part that most people skip over, and it's sitting down and really having a, a strategy session and saying, who are we exactly, and who is our competition and what are they doing right and how are we different than them and how are we going to approach the market with our message and all of those things are not super fun i'm going to be honest mm -hmm. we do them every day but most of our clients skip that part and by the time they get to us and they're asking us you know hey can i hire you to give me help the first thing that we say is well what you know what are all these what are the answers to these questions and they realize they've never done the work and so if there's one piece of advice I can give you is that if you haven't really sat down and thought about the answers to some of those questions and written out a strategy around your marketing, it's a great time to start <laughs> hmm. uh, because everything that you do for marketing without that, that foundational strategy is just a shotgun approach. Hmm. You don't know how to measure. You don't know how to manage. You don't know what success looks like. And so you might try something and if it goes well for you, that's great. But most of the time you're going to try a whole bunch of different things and not really be able to tell why it's not working. So that would be the one takeaway is, you know, do, do the work, sit down for an hour or two with your team and say, let's get this on paper and make sure that we're, you know, we're on the same page about what our, our mission is and our, our goals and, you know, who we are as a company. Mm. Oh, very good. Very good. So do the work, get it on paper <laughs> and, and make sure that everybody is on the same page. Well, Anavia, thank you for being our guest on Family Business today. To learn more about Anavia McLean at Piccolo Marketing, visit their website at www.piccolomarketing.com. Anavia has also created, as she said earlier, Piccolo University and Marketing Mentor Program. Uh, this is an online training course that teaches students to do marketing for themselves just as Piccolo would do the marketing for them. To our listeners, thank you for joining us for the Family Business Today podcast, brought to you by the Tennessee Center for Family Business located in Nashville, Tennessee. Our passion is to help families create a positive environment where the family thrives, the business performs, 
and one day celebrate a successful transition. Whether you're a business owner looking to grow your family business or you're wanting to prepare to someday sell or transition the business to the next generation, consider joining one of our Family Business Mastermind groups hosted by the Tennessee Center for Family Business. To learn more about the Tennessee Center for Family Business, visit our website at www.tncfb.com. Until next time, thanks for joining us. 